My name is Dr. Michael Brown, and this is Three Words, a bite-sized podcast about the simple and strategic choices that any of us can make in order to feel fully alive. Today in the studio is my dear friend, Deontay Shivers, a entrepreneur, a business owner, a semi-professional football player, and a chef all in one. And so today on our podcast, we get to hear from Deontay a life of struggle, of challenge, of difficulties, of hope, of inspiration. What does it look like to figure it out, to never give up, to hang in there, if I could be trite with this phrase, when the going gets tough, and for this young man of 30 years old, his life has been tough, and he's an inspiration to me, and he'll be an interest inspiration to you as well as we listen to this episode, Figure It Out. Well, Deontay... I have heard so much about you from so many people, but it wasn't until today when we actually meet for the very first time. So it is a joy to have you here in the studio to explore three, I think, powerful words that our listeners and our viewers are for certain struggling with themselves and Mm -hmm. wanting to kind of figure it out, figure it out are three words for today's conversation. You know, you chose those three words yes. for our conversation today, knowing that you would be on Three Words Podcast. You've you've seen some of the Three Words Podcast episodes. You've mm-hmm. followed us, and you know this is a three-word phrase that will resonate with you and with people. You have been through a lot. Yes. Yeah. I mean, you have been mm-hmm. through so much. And so I'm guessing in many ways your journey that has shaped you and the, and the struggles that you have faced – and the challenges that you have risen above has kind of fed into this idea of figuring it out. So if I can, just I just want to start from the beginning. Okay. Where are you from? Tell us a little about your life. Maybe give us a little bit of a, a storyline where you came from and, and some of those challenges that we've okay. all kind of known about, mm-hmm. but now we get to hear about. Well, I um, I come from Detroit, Michigan. Uh, I grew up in project housing. Uh, it was just my both parents. I was my family would, we was actually one of the, not only, but, you know, one of the few families that have both parents in the house and everything. Mm-hmm. And, um, it was myself, both my parents and my brother. And, you know, we didn't, we weren't like in poverty growing up or anything, but like times definitely got hard where we had to, you know, figure it out. Um, mm-hmm. my mom worked two, three jobs just to provide. My dad worked five, six days a week, you know, 10, 12 hours, you know, um, so. Yeah, it was just, you know, one of them things that um, I personally felt that, you know, where I come from made me who I am today. um, For sure. Yeah, it it, it was hard growing up, man. Um, We didn't have everything that we wanted, but we, you know, we had our basic necessities. You know, my mother made sure of it. My dad did as well. But, you know, when things got tight, you know, we, we sometimes went with our lights cut off or, you know, we had to eat hot and ready's um for a week straight sometimes you know but um so you have mom and dad and you had mm-hmm. a, a brother and yes. then obviously uh you were born a twin yes i was uh i have an older brother um his name is Duro, and i was born a twin like correct um my twin sister her name is darshay uh she was four minutes older than me um darshay the older sister yeah <laughs> yeah she was born at eight fifty four p.m i was born at eight fifty eight, and um she unexpectedly passed away. Um, she was three months old. Oh my goodness. And, uh, just 
one of them things growing up that, you know, it was kind of weird in a way. It was just knowing that I had a twin sister, but, you know, never, you know, physically remembering her, you know, mm-hmm. it was kind of. And obviously uh, you've seen pictures and yeah. I'm sure that just brings back. Mm-hmm. I've actually only, um, only seen one picture of her okay. and, um, my uh, extended family, she had it, and it, my mom, she was holding both of us at the same time. Mm-hmm. And I probably only saw that picture probably a handful of times, and it got lost, you know, somewhere. But and, and I've read a little, I've studied a little of your social media, and I've kind of tried to track with kind of your journey just through some of the storytelling that you do. Mm-hmm. I'm now as an owner and a chef and an entrepreneur here in the community, and you've posted and you've shared a few things. But one of the things that you share and you talk a lot about is that. Obviously, you lost your twin mm-hmm. when you were three months old, and death has been very much a part of your life from the very beginning. In from fact, beginning. you have said mm-hmm. you can't think of a calendar year mm-hmm. where you've not lost someone you love. Yeah, it's, it's, who are some of those significant people that have shaped who you are? Family, friends that you've lost, and and, and what happened? Um, I, man, the list goes on. Um, my mentor. Um, okay. my high school mentors, um, some of my closest childhood friends, mm-hmm. you know, outside of my brother and my mom, I lost both of my grandparents, um, uncles, aunts, cousins. It was, it was I always just seemed like the people who played like a part of my mm-hmm. life who helped me become who I am now. As I began to grow closer to them, it's just like something always happened. You know, you know they died, you know, yeah. um, some people were killed. Um, and it's just like, man, like, you know, I'm 30 years old right now. And like I said, I cannot, as far as I can go back, I cannot recall a full calendar year, you know, and, um, Hmm. even losing, um, my grandmother, I lost my grandmother and two of my closest friends within the same month in November, 2015, from October to November, 2015, Hmm. three months later after that, my mom passed away and you know, at the, you know, in June, one of my closest friends from high school, he was killed. And it was just like, what is this? man? Yeah. You know, it's, it's been tough. Well, and I think the death and not to, not to, you know, more significant or less significant people in your life, but obviously your mother, I yeah. mean, obviously I lost my mother at a young age as well. Mm-hmm. I was 15, so, she was 36. Mm-hmm. And, um, so I would have been a little bit younger than you when I lost my mother, but obviously that's for many of us, the most significant person in our lives. Mm -hmm. And you were a senior in college Mm -hmm. from what I understand. And and she passed away. Um, but that obviously was probably so impactful for you, but it also launched you into the present and the future that you're living in today. Tell, tell me a little bit about your mother. Her name was Sharon. Yeah. Her name is Sharon. Tell me about your mom. Uh, to call my mom amazing would be a huge understatement. Like, mm. A heart of gold. Like everyone who met my mom loved my mom because she was just such a pure, genuine person. Um, no matter who it was, she always found a way to help them out. You know, even myself, like she went above and beyond to make sure my brother and I, we had everything that, we need like i said she worked numerous jobs she did all she could like but the thing with her she never complained mm-hmm. that was something that she would never do and i could look at her and tell that you know she's physically drained she's mentally drained but she always had a smile on her face and she always just kept it going and um 
losing her so so unexpectedly was it was tough. Like um probably easily the biggest blow of my life, you yeah. know. Um, so I want to pause briefly during this very deep and meaningful conversation with my friend Deontay and simply invite you, if you're enjoying this podcast, would you subscribe or even share it with a friend who might be going through tough times themselves? Now back to the episode. And yet out of that pain mm-hmm. came your purpose because it's when you soon after, correct me if I'm wrong, mm-hmm. her death is when you launched Trigger Meals, yes. which is, it started in your apartment. Yes. I st- $47 in your pocket? $47, yeah. <laughs> um, my mom passed March 1st, um, 2016, and I started Trigger Mills July 26, 2016. And just from that time, um, you know, my dad had to work twice as hard to pick up my mom half of everything. And, you know, my brother was helping out as much as he could. Mm. And my mom, I wasn't working at the time when my mom passed, so she, you know, helped me out um, with my bills and everything. But... You know, when she passed, I realized, like, okay, I really can't call on my dad right now. Well, it's not that I can't. I don't want to because I understand that he's picking up all these extra shifts. I understand that my brother is doing the same thing. So it was like, okay, what am I going to do right now? And that brings me back to the figure it out thing. Um, Mm -hmm. You figured it out. Yeah. And um, on July 24th, actually, I invited one of my old roommates over. His name was Gerard. And... I used to cook at our old house all the time and I made some chicken hibachi rice and he put it out like, man, you should sell food. And I'm not going to lie. I was not big on the idea at all. Like huh. it was something that so never it was someone else's me. idea. Yeah. And, um, it was his idea for me to sell food and I put it on Twitter actually. And I asked, you know, the people who was in town, like, you know, how would you guys feel about this? I created like a sample menu, um, just to see, you know, if, how the feedback would be. You sent out a marketing survey. Yeah. <laughs> and it was just like instant. They were like, do it, do it, do it. Because, mm. excuse me, obviously they get tired of the campus food. They get tired of Marco's pizza. They get tired of, you know, everything else. They wanted that home cooked food away from home. Yeah. And two days later, I started it. And like you mentioned before, I only had $47 to my name. And that was 2016. That was 2016, yes. And so we're five years into Trigger Meals. Mm-hmm. And, and we're going to go back and we're going to continue to explore some things. But here you are today. How is Trigger Meals, since we're on the topic, how is Trigger Meals doing? Uh, it's going well. Is it's, it paying the bills? Yeah, definitely. Um, <laughs> it's um, actually put me to the point right now. Uh, it's not about me anymore. Um, I know, you know, we're owning the business and everything that, you know, I'm going to be taken care of at the end of the day. You know, if my dad or my family need help with anything that I, you know, would be able to help, but I'm kind of past the point where I'm worried about myself right now. Um, I'm focused on, uh, obviously continue to expand the business, but, um, you know, bring jobs back to the community and, uh, you know, just help other people out. That's kind of, my purpose with trigger meals right now. Well, in many ways, then you are honoring your mom's legacy yes. because you were describing when you described her, one of the, the first things you talked about, obviously a heart of gold, but expressed and embodied in generosity. And you were saying not only did she help out you and her brother, your brother, but she was helping out anybody, mm-hmm. anybody who had need. Literally. And if you, in what you said is true, you didn't have a lot as a family yourself right. and you were giving out of, 
very little that you had, mm-hmm. but you're always willing to share. And even hearing you talk about that now, Deontay, you are continuing to do the same. Because my guess is Trigger Meals hasn't made you a millionaire. No, not sure. <laughs> not <laughs> and sure. so you still, yeah. even in this young, um, early stages of a business, mm-hmm. you're thinking about others beside yourself. In fact, just recently, you partnered with the university to give away meals to students who are taking final exams before the holiday break. Yes. And um, it, like, it always just takes me back because my parents, they told my brother from an early age, when you get in the position to help other people, just do it. You know, you don't look for anything in return. You don't want a pat on the back. You don't want anything like that. Mm-hmm. And um, the thing with the university, where the library, I should say, I've been doing that for years. You know, um, just always would take five meals here, 10 meals here, 25 meals here. It's been something that I've been doing for to, years. To, who did you give those to? I gave them to the students at the library. It was always during finals oh, week. Dur- so it, it was at the library. Mm-hmm. We were just showing up with food. Yeah, I would just show up with food. Okay, and, let me, um, let me, let, okay. So, <laughs> you know, I got my doctorate and I would always spend eighth, on the eighth floor of writing on the eighth floor of the Jerome Library. Yeah, I did a quiet floor. That must have been before <laughs> your time because I wasn't getting trigger meals delivered. Yeah. But you literally would walk around. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, and just start delivering meals. Yep. And How did people respond? Uh, it was it was always great to you know see their response, man. I it took me back to when I was there, um, late night, not a lot of places open, um, yeah. and you could see the work that they putting in, and it's something as simple as a meal to help them to keep them going, you know, to give them that boost of energy. Like just to see the excitement on their faces, it was. That's awesome. heartwarming, man. <laughs> and now it's become actually a formal partnership yeah. between that library and Trigger Meals. Mm-hmm. Yes. This was the first year um, they reached out to me. Normally, I would reach out to them to make sure that it was okay for me to do. Gotcha. And this year, they actually reached out to me. And um, the market in the library was closed for the entire semester. And they just um, asked me if it was something that I would be interested in doing. And I was I was going to do it anyway. Like I said, I always do it during finals week. Uh-huh. And, um, it was like, yeah, and they you know told me how many meals and everything. It was like, wow, like you know I wasn't expecting that many, but you know, um, like I said, it just took me back to my mom's and her teaching. Uh, you know, since she's no longer physically here, my actions has to be a reflection of what she taught me, and um, that's you know something that I'm going to do. Well, and I had first uh, learned of who you were. Obviously, we have lots of shared mutual yeah. friends <laughs> yeah. who have been on the podcast with us. Mm-hmm. Uh, Martha, Tony King, uh, others Great that you people. would know. I just mentioned we just recorded an episode with Trey Diggs. Mm-hmm. And these are all friends of yours, and, yes. and they speak so highly of you. But w- when I first knew who you were, I mean, I knew there was a trigger meals out there, and I kind of, which I love, you know, obviously a black owned business in mm-hmm. Bowling Green, Ohio is Awesome. Yeah. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. Okay. Um, what it means to, you know, be a black business owner in a predominantly white town. I'm curious about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but you had to actually hit pause yeah. on the Trigger Meals journey because you then lost your brother. Yeah. And, you know, my brother, as my very first best friend, um, he beat me up all the time. He <laughs> did all the wrestling moves on me, you know. He now, made, wait a minute. You're, you're a semi-professional football player. How do yeah, you pull that off? It's Which... crazy, right? <laughs> you know, but um, he was two and a half years older than me. And growing up, he wasn't always bigger than me, but he just always had that big brother thing that was like, I'm older than you, so I can do this, this, and this on you. And if I ever cry, he would always like, you know, you better not cry, man. You, you a man, right? Like, you know, but 
Um, that was my very first best friend. Um, he seen me obviously in every phase of my life. You know, when I was up, I was down. I wanted to cry. I could always go to my brother. And losing my brother so unexpectedly because he actually just, um, he had a son. You know, at the time he passed, my nephew was only two years old. And um, losing my brother so unexpectedly was just a, a huge, a huge blow. Like, um, you know, you you feel, you know, watching my brother grow up and battle sickle cell, uh, his life, he was a warrior. You know, he inspired me so much to keep going. And after our mom passed, he really embraced that big brother role. He really, like, you know, stepped up and, you know, made sure that I was good, but we were good together because obviously we both lost our mom. We had different relationships with our mom. She had different relationships with us. But at the end of the day, we were all that we had. And, um, you know, even from the first time after losing our mom, going to go see, you know, to the cemetery to see her, it took me some time. But when he said, you know, okay, I'll go with you, it gave me that, you know, it allowed me to go because he was there by my side. Like, like I said, he seen me every phase of my life. You know, that was my best friend. And I say that I probably said that like five times already, but yeah, brother to, and best friend. Yeah. He was everything, you know, if I wanted to do something like, you know, when our mom first passed, it was the week um, of spring break. I was actually about to drop out of college. Um, Your senior year. Mm-hmm. I was done. I could not make it through, you know, and I, my brother at the time was the only person who knew that. And I talked to him. I was at, you know, I actually was walking to the administration building to withdraw from my classes because that was the last week to do it. But I called my brother. I, it was a rainy day. I know this may sound like a movie or something, but it was a rainy day. I remember it. And I called my brother and I sat outside on the steps and I just told him, like, you know, his name was Pee Wee. Um, I said, you know, P, man, I'm done, man. Like, I cannot do this anymore. And he said, why not? Like, why can't you do it? He like, you know, um, you made it this far because um, a lot of people don't know. Um, in 2000. 11, I was kicked out of Bowling Green for my grades, for academic reasons. And I was out of college for two and a half years. Okay. Um, So he's, you know, was telling me like, you know, you sat out of school for two and a half years, man. And you had that fire under you to, you know, really get back going. You know, you wanted to prove that you belonged there. You know, you made some mistakes, you know, you keep it going now. And had it not been for that talk, I would not have, um, finish school. I was done, but he always knew what to say to keep me going. Um, one thing that, you know, it's always funny. He always called me girlfriend. Like, you know, you've been a little girlfriend right now. And <laughs> I could sit on the phone for hours and vent to him and I would cry and whatever. And at the end of our conversations, he said, you know, you done? I said, yeah, man, you know, I'm done. That man, you know, you're acting like a little girlfriend right now. That saying was powerful enough to make me tighten up to realize, like, okay, man, like, 
got to really keep it going right now. But um, when I love the fact that you speak very freely, because obviously we talk a lot in some of the mentoring work I do, what does it mean to be a real man? Mm -hmm. And that there's this cultural stereotype that real men don't cry. Yeah. That real men don't ask for help. Mm -hmm. That that real men don't express their feelings. And and you talk pretty freely. It it reminds me of a previous episode we did here on three words called let yourself cry. Mm -hmm. Um, Because sometimes you just got to cry. And so you have no aversion to tears. No, not at all. Um, I love that. It was, you know, I, I, and it's actually something that um, I'm trying to break within the culture of like black men in general, Uh because where I'm from, we would talk, chin up chest out no matter what you go through chin you up, show chest out mm-hmm, you show any sign of emotion you weak mm-hmm. you know but what i've learned over the years strength is, is is strength in tears yes you know if you allow yourself to feel how you want to feel that's actually one of the strongest things that you can do that's right and um now you sound like a life coach <laughs> <you> know, <laughs> can i hire uh, you yeah <laughs> but um like i said my mom my brother, my dad, they always allowed us to feel how we wanted to feel, not to really suppress our feelings. Um, and like I said, when I would call my mom, I would vent, I would for hours. And one thing she always told me, and I actually, this was a gift from my girlfriend, Rabia. Um, on the back of it, it's engraved that says, boy, you'll be okay. And so just for those who are listening and not viewing on our YouTube channel, it's a, it's a chain with a picture of your mother yes. on the front and on the back is a quote. Yes. And it says, boy, you will be okay. And kind of similar to how my brother always called me a girlfriend at the end of um, our, my vent sessions, I would call it. I would vent to my mom all the time. And, you know, she listened like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Boy, you'll be okay. And always that was enough to keep me going. Yes. And um, out of it, you know, losing her. You know, like I said, my brother, he really stepped up and now I physically don't have him anymore. And so your brother, your best friend, the most influential person in your life, Mm -hmm. your twin, as well as a variety of childhood friends. Mm -hmm. um, And even throughout the years, and I'm guessing in high school and even college. Mm -hmm. And I'm guessing it's hard for you to trust people. Yeah. It's, it's, because you're wondering, are they going to be here tomorrow? That's the biggest thing right now, man. Yeah. And, but you mentioned that your girlfriend gave you that chain, yes. the thing around your neck. neck. Mm-hmm. And she's actually in here in the studio with us today. And her name is Rabia. Yes. And we asked beforehand, you've been dating two years. Yes. It sounds like you trust her. Um, two years is a, is a, is a stint. It's it a long time. Trust is an understatement, man. With, um, with Rabia. Yes. Um, Why? Just simply because, you know, she's a genuine person as well. Um, so she's like your mother. Yeah. She reminds me, she very, she's strict like her too, you know, <laughs> but no. She keeps um, you in line. Yeah, definitely. Um, and she doesn't hesitate to tell me, you know, if I'm right or if I'm wrong, anything like that. But the thing, you know, even before we met, I was actually the week that we met, I had just shut down Trigger Music um, for the first time because- I started to feel burnt out with it. Um, wasn't having fun with it. Um, I was in it for the wrong reasons at that time period. And what were those reasons? Money. Mm. The money was so good that I lost track of everything uh, that 
There we go. Really mattered, you know. Uh-huh. I was so working so more even though hours. you were ma- you were making more money and you mm-hmm. were burnt out. Whereas now you slowed it down and mm-hmm. you're feeling more generous than ever. Mm-hmm. There's a lesson there. Yeah, money doesn't buy happiness. No, it sure doesn't. It doesn't buy happiness. Like I would, you know, if I let's just I throw out a number. Let's just say if I was at four hundred and eighty dollars at nine o'clock from and it's like okay, I'm tired. I made my money. I want to get to five hundred. I would sit there for two more hours hoping to make another twenty dollars to be satisfied for the night. You know. And like I said, I got burnt out with it and I haven't, what I, I wasn't having fun with it. And, yeah. you know, I met Rabia and, you know, we started off slow, but she, you know, I could just always tell, you know, what type of person that she was just off the little things she would say to me. And I began to like her like really fast, you know, don't think it was the same with her, but, um, sure. Yeah. She just become a person that, like I said, she's so genuine and I, to even begin to explain how much, you know, she means to me and how much she's helped me over the years, I, it's, it's hard to do. It's hard to really put in words, you know, what, how important, she, you know, she is. Well, and it, it, it really goes back to your three words. I mean, you have had so much loss and grief in your life. And you've had to figure it out. Mm-hmm. You have to move on with your life. Yeah. And you're not just moving on with your life. You're building this extraordinary life mm-hmm. with people who know you, who speak truth to you, who are your community, your friendship, friends, your family. Um, and that is what is shaping you yeah. into the man that you are today, who's willing and, and comfortable with crying, expressing emotion. And in many ways, I think that's why you're figuring it out. Mm-hmm. You're figuring you it out to. because you are your true, authentic self. Um, and if I may ask, Deontay, how do you process and how do you make sense? And what do you feel like is the purpose in pain? I feel like, you know, it makes us who we are. You know, it's one of those things that's inevitable. Like, it's something that we have to deal with, you know, and how we respond to pain would determine how we'll deal with it the next time around. And for me to, you know, go through some of the things, all the things that I've dealt with, mm-hmm. I never gave up. You know, I may have slowed it down, may sure. take it pause. Bit, yeah, but I yeah. never gave up, you know, and. Well, sometimes it takes pause to accelerate. Yeah, definitely. Sometimes it takes a season of reflection to actually build and write the next chapter of your life. And we've actually talked about the possibility that these three words might be turn the page. Mm-hmm. Because in many ways, that's what you've had to do over and mm-hmm. over and over again as you have written the story of your life. But even even with that, you know, it's okay to hold on to something. You know, you don't, you, you when you want to turn the page, it should be at, your own will, not just because of how much time has went past. If it's something that you do not genuinely, truly feel that you're ready to move on from, it's kind of okay to hold on to it, but not stop. You know, even right now, I think of my brother every second of the day, mm-hmm. like every second. And is we've done so much together that the smallest things reminds me of him. And Robbie would tell you, we could see a random commercial and it's like, ah, oh, this one time my brother and I did this, this, and that. Yeah. But 
if I was to stop right now, who's to say when I would, you know, keep it going? You know, um, I took my brother passed February 7th from, from February to probably like May or June sometime. I, that was that pause. Yep. You know, 90 days to grieve and to really process all of that. And moving forward, it was like, okay, I'm still dealing with it. It's something that I'm going to deal with for the rest of my life, but I have to keep it going. Yes. Like, you know, because it's not about me anymore. Like I said, I had a two year old nephew who before he years before he was born, my brother and I, you know, we, we, sat down and we talked that, you know, and we agreed that if something was to ever happen to one of us, we would step up and be, and, you know, whoever had a child first, we would be in their life. Really? This is something that... How old were you when you had that conversation? Oh, man, I'm and, 30 now. I was probably... We probably had this conversation numerous times, but I can go back as far as probably like 14, 15. So junior high, high school, mm-hmm. you're already talking about mm-hmm. that. Because, it, you know... My family, we had a lot of the conversations that people would call uncomfortable. Um, we talked about if one of us was to pass before the other, how we would want our funerals to be, um, what music we would want played, what colors we would want to wear, you know, those type of things. And, uh, you know, I'm actually glad that we had those conversations because I was able to send them off how they wanted to be sent off. But yeah. when, it come, when it came to the conversation of, you know, having a child, my brother... He asked me, like, you know, something happened to me, man. Like, you know, if I have a a, a child, can I count on you to be there? Mm-hmm. You know, and this is the same questions that I'm asking him. So it was like, yes, like, of course. And you I'm know? guessing you are there for your nephew. Uh, 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 yes. 100%. <laughs> my nephew, my brother. Um, is, he, is he now three? Yeah, he just turned three in October. Okay. My brother, he named my nephew after me. Because he told me that um, on the day that my nephew was born, all throughout the whole pregnancy, he would not tell me his name. And it's like, you know, what is my, like, why don't my nephew have a name? And, you know, we got to the hospital for the first time and his mom, her name is Sierra. She held my nephew and my brother, like, you know, do you want to hold him? And I'm like, yeah. And she like, you know, Deontay, you know, like meet Deontay. And um, that was just a huge honor. And my my brother said if it was if it was any man outside of himself that he would want my nephew to be like, it would be me. And um, it's amazing. It's just um, I said this is something that I promised my brother years ago. Yes. And sadly, that you know we're here now, and um, I just got to make you know continue to make sure that my nephew is good and you know. Honoring my brother, his legacy that, you know, when my nephew gets older, he will know about his dad. He will know, you know, what his father stood for. And um, just pretty much, you know, get him the life that we didn't have growing up. Um, excuse me, man. No, it's okay. Yeah, so. Thanks for being real. Uh, no. Thanks for being honest and vulnerable and transparent. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, all of these illustrations and examples that you're giving, they there's so many powerful lessons that we can all learn from you, Deontay, but every step of the way you have figured it out. That's the biggest thing. You have figured it out. You have kept going. You've not given up. (laughs) We actually did a a three word podcast previous episode. I think it's episode 15. Never Mm -hmm. give up. 
Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting. You're going through all of these things personally while at the exact same time we have found ourselves in a global pandemic mm-hmm. um, during a time of incredible social unrest and racial inequality and so forth. And you're actually building a business as a mm-hmm. black man. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned obviously black male culture and just, uh, you see chin up, chest chin out, up, chin chest up, up, chest out. Mm-hmm. Um, but what does it feel like if, if I can explore a little more with you, because you've obviously figured this out, being a black man, a black, black business owner in a predominantly white culture, mm-hmm. not only across our country, but in this, Midwest part of the nation. How have you made sense of that? How have you figured that out? And what does that look like for you? It just, you know, when I I want people to look at everything, I just want them to, you know, realize, especially being a black man, like you said, um, that they can do it too. Um, It opened uh, opened my eyes to a a world that I've never seen before, especially where I come from. But um, just being able to create something from nothing and, you know, continue with five years later in a world that I personally feel like was kind of set for us black men to fail in a sense. Um, just want to show people that you don't have to rap, sing or play sports to, um, to make it, you know, not saying that I made it, but I feel like I'm on my way. You're absolutely on your way. um, Yeah. Just showing that, you know, if you really love what you do and your heart is in, you know, in it for the right reasons, like it will be rewarding. Um, yeah. Like I said, I started this with $47. Never knew it would be what it is right now. Mm-hmm. But I always felt that, you know, my intentions were pure. And when people see that, you know, they're buying a product and you can connect with them on different levels outside of business and they understand like, okay, this is what he stands for. This is what, you know, whatever. I just feel like, you know, whatever you really put, put it to, you can really, you know, be successful with it. Um, that was my biggest thing, um, to connect to not only my people, but other people as well and figuring out how can I use food to connect with, you know, different cultures, different races, you know, everything like that. Yeah. And, um, so you have been a bridge builder. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you really have mm-hmm. during a time when, you know, it seems like bridges are collapsing all around us and, you know, systemic racism, even as you noted, yeah. you didn't use the phrase, but the fact that the, the odds are stacked against you mm-hmm. as a black man, um, you know, it seems like chances are failure is in, in the future unless mm-hmm. you really take ownership and, figure it out yeah right because of the culture and the world in which we live Mm -hmm. and yet you have been able to do that over and over and over and over again Deontay it has been an honor it has been a pleasure to sit with you and honestly this has probably been of all the podcast episodes I have recorded where Michael Brown has said the least (laughs) because you had so much wonderful things to say and I just wanted to sit and soak it in um, you are incredibly articulate. You, you have Thank a story you. to be told, and I'm glad that um, I'm glad that we were able to even share a little piece and parts of that story, a cliff notes of that story here in our uh, conversation today. And if you are listening or viewing today on our YouTube channel or listening in, on any podcast platform, I hope you're inspired. 
I hope you're inspired by Deontay's journey. And wherever you find yourself today, I'm guessing that struggle is a part of your life, that pain is a part of your week, that you have been dealing with really hard things in some dimension of your life and of your journey. And yet, I think we're reminded today from my friend Deontay that we're to never give up, that we're to continue to move forward. We might need to pause. We might need to cry. We might need to wrestle with what's happening around us and be real and honest and transparent Mm -hmm. and enter into community. But I think that what Deontay is not only shared with us, but embodies in his own life that no matter what, together as humankind and within the communities and the places in which you live, we can together and we must figure Figure it it out. Thanks, brother. I appreciate you. For life coaching, consulting services, or to hire a keynote speaker, please visit dmbcoaching.com.